When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating atheism versus Christianity, which is better for society, and we are starting right now with Ken, Ken Ami's opening statement. Thanks very much for being with us. I want to introduce Ken in particular. He is an experienced Christian debater. He's been on the channel several times as well as debating elsewhere. Thanks for being with us, Ken. The floor is all yours. Thank you, James, and it's a pleasure, Randolph. Absolute freedom corrupts absolutely and true freedom is only really enjoyed within parameters absolute parameters that are universal imperatives are the result of a absolute parameter promulgator so now in christianity we have a god who is triune and so has enjoyed relationships eternally Relationships are ontological to God. It's part of God's very nature and essence. And these relationships are truly dynamic in that they have been enjoyed amongst what are known as the persons of the Godhead. And they're also free of conflict because God is one. And so that's the basic um, premise for relationships. Everything in creation is in a relationship of one sort or another to something or one or another. Now, Christianity is a term that derives from what the followers of the way were called at some point along the way. It was at Antioch, called Christian. And, of course, the way refers to Jesus, who um, elucidated the follower, um, which is as the example, as the way, his doings, his teaching, his life. And so basically, um, a Christian isn't one that merely self-identifies as one, but as Paul puts it, watch your life and doctrine. So it's not just a belief, in it, it is an action, and it is not just an action, but it is a belief. It is the combination of the two. It's not something that one can merely claim and not do. And as we are told also, uh, be doers, not hearers only. And as Jesus said, we would know them by their fruits. It's what they're doing. Saying, not just claiming, not just proclaiming. And uh, now in James 1.25, it's interesting that he refers to the perfect law of freedom. Okay. Now, what we have in Christianity is the 
creation of the universe as a purposeful place, which is purposefully created. And where creatures are placed to exist. And this, down the line, is the basic premise for things such as the scientific method. So we see how um, society would benefit from that sort of view of the world where we have built-in um, capability of uh, comprehension, eligibility, induction, those things. Now, that we are created in God's image, both males and females, means that everybody has instant, uh, granted, uh, ontological honor, dignity, or etc. And one of the strongest foundations for a healthy and better society uh, is the home, is the marriage, which as far as I know, um, the Bible is the only place where we have a, not just marriage as a given, um, not just presupposed, but actually established. And so this builds the family unit so that even those who push uh, pseudo-marriage will admit that what's known as traditional marriage is the healthiest way to interact with each other as adults in that intimate level of relationship, as well as for raising children. And it is from this sort of uh, micro society than then a healthy macro society can grow, which is likely why so many um, secular philosophies uh, begin essentially by attacking traditional families because they can't let uh, a micro government get in the way of their macro government, right? Uh, and then that ties into, of course, child rearing with um, Ephesians 6.4, for example, stating, do not provoke your children to anger. And elsewhere, we're told that children are to honor their parents. You see, I'm, I'm touching upon a point of um, this sort of complex web of uh, human interaction, where, for instance, when we talk about something as blunt as the taking of human life, we are told about killing and murder. Two very, very, very different concepts. And so we see this constant uh, appeal to these absolutes that uh, are forced to interact with the real world, right? The mundane. Um, now we've seen that Christianity in its true form. I mean, what else is there but its true form? And it succeeds every time it's tried, uh, whether it is within a small unit called a family or within an entire nation. And we find that this is the case even in the face of persecution. Many times where Christians are persecuted for what they believe and for what they do, and yet they thrive and have traditionally been known as the ones who are building it. Um, Establishments of higher learning, you know, hospitals, soup kitchens, disaster relief organizations, 
adoption agency, uh, hospitals, uh, you name it. Uh, Christians are out doing that anywhere, any, everywhere, regardless of whether they're well-treated in return or not. Because there are certain absolutes that we are to strive towards. And so the, some of this has touched upon the, the fascinating and complex interaction of morality versus ethics and, and the interaction between what are ideal laws versus the, the realities on the ground and how one has to uh, basically consider ontology versus epistemology, right? The absolute thing in and of itself versus the application of it. That's really a fascinating aspect of the Christian ethic is how to take these higher principles and apply them to the mundane as we're told that we are in the world, not of the world. So we bring these absolute ethics that are not of the world, but they're applicable to the world. And then we see how to exercise them. And uh, the flowery way I've put it in the past is that uh, the spirit of the law is the parchment upon which the letter of the law is written. So that you see that the letter of the law tells you thus and such, but then there's the spirit behind it. So that um, one thing I was thinking about today is when we're told that Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees saw it and they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Okay, the letter of the law. Even if some of that was just the Pharisees' own man-made um, emphasis. Regardless. So Jesus said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profanes the Sabbath and are guiltless? And that really reminded me of my days in private Jewish school where Mr. Mintz told us that if you're on a desert island and all there is to eat is pig, well, you eat the pig, right? <laughs> the law isn't a suicide pact. Um, the law is something that, as per its spirit, is to serve you truly. Like um, Jesus said that the Sabbath is meant to save and serve man, not the other way around. And so it is this um, freedom of application that's really uh, the fascinating aspect of um, how to govern and um, steer human behavior from this like um, absolute perfection of God to us humans that would be considered fallen. And how do we apply these things uh, is part of how we have these like vertical relationships to God and horizontal relationships with each other. And so I would say that this gives us a premise upon which to even discuss the concept of better, right? Better as per what? And uh, especially just juxtaposed naturally with worse. Well, then how do we determine these things to begin with? And so the better society would seem to be the one where all 
know about the gospel uh, and either believe it and act on it or at least play along with it in terms of ethics. So if I could just offer a parochial example, um, I, I guess some people claim that there were times where the United States was a Christian nation, whether that's, you know, however you want to slice and dice the stats on that. It's kind of regardless to the point that regardless, even the majority, uh, or, or rather, let me back up, even those who weren't actual Christians at least comprehended that there was an ethic that they should be following and that was expected by society, and that there was a certain level of decency and ethics that should be held to, which uh, result in a better society. And then I'll just close by saying that in the end, and even looking on into the eternity to come, what we're presented with in Christianity is that in the end, there will be people of every tongue, every tribe, every single nation, Regardless, all people uh, who will be able to come together. And so that cuts through actually everything. <laughs> it cuts through nationality, uh, through classes, through what some people would call races, through uh, everything, every kind of division that humanity might imagine for itself to divide over. It cuts through absolutely all of it and says that we are all created in God's image, so can be more. And I'll leave you with that. You got it. Thank you very much for that opening statement, Ken. And as well, thrilled to have you back, Randolph. Randolph is president of the Canadian Atheists. He has debated on numerous platforms, including many times on Modern Day Debate. He is linked to the description, including Ken as well. want to say thank you very much, Randolph, for being with us. The floor is all yours for your opening as well. Oh, it's still on mute. Uh, you can hear me now. I, I apologize. Um, thank you, uh, James. I appreciate uh, being on your show every single time. And uh, Ken, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Um, I have my uh, opening statement prepared. And um, I, will, I want to address some of the points you made in yours when we get into the uh, debate. So starting with my statement, Christianity, like all religions, is intrinsically divisive. Members are systemically divided from outsiders, and us outsiders are looked upon or even despised as destined for a lesser quality of life and afterlife. This is evidenced by the false stigma created by Christians who seek to shame and vilify non-Christians, including, in particular, atheists like myself, regardless of whether we have anything at all to say on the subject of religions. Religious persecution is the result, and it's an artifact of tribalism born from, in many cases, Christian authoritarianism, which we see playing out now in the American political landscape. To understand why the authoritarian aspects of religions, including Christianity, are such important factors in discerning social ills, a newer religion influenced deeply by Christianity can be seen in countries like Iran, which has an authoritarian regime currently in panic mode because they're in the midst of being overthrown. 
They know their days are numbered, and they really don't want to lose the stronghold they thought they had all these decades. They want so badly to rule from a religious vantage point that they've been systemically killing their own citizens to scare their populace into submission. For they are insecure about their own failure to control people because they know that freedom will prevail. Christianity was once like this. And although things have improved greatly from the days of medieval injustice, there are some Christians who want the world to burn by fire and brimstone and for human rights to be discarded in favor of the horrors of sexism, ignorance, and hateful tribalism, all of which can be found in the vicious doctrine they hold dear, the Holy Bible which many regard as a written enemy of humanity as it attempts to anchor Christians to medieval times and practices, such as the stoning of people for committing adultery, a punishment that is so obviously an injustice because the punishment does not fit the uh, so-called offense, the dividing of people by granting an accolade of being chosen as if it's in an exclusive club, which often comes across as quite narcissistic and is extremely divisive, the enslavement of fellow human beings. This is not employment. It's exploitation that cares not for consent and discards personal liberties as if trivial. And the Bible, the Holy Bible, is kind of a manual for imposing slavery on people. Christianity also presents faith as a virtue, which results in people pushing outdated ideals instead of focusing on how to develop practical, evidence-based solutions that promote higher quality of life for others. Why should people live in fear, born from ignorance, instead of contributing inventions and developing solutions that both require and result in a better overall understanding of reality? In societies where people are truly free to be atheists, to not believe in deities and not be forced to partake in any religions, people don't fear retaliation for inventing anything that makes other people's lives better or easier, since religious institutions or the religious elites need not be consulted for approval as was the case in the past, and credit is granted to the inventor instead of the Christian deity, God. I prefer to live in societies that don't impose superstitious ideals onto my intellectual sovereignty or anyone else's, and to take steps to, and that take steps to ensure that everyone's freedoms are protected so that we may all bask in the natural opportunities to excel to the maximum. Where religions like Christianity impose a lot of limits on people, atheism does no such thing which means that instead of diverting people's impulses of generosity and good intentions, atheism imposes no limits, which leaves all of us with the majestic necessity to cooperate and create our own standards that adhere to the needs of all of humanity. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Ken, and thank you, James. Thank you very much for that opening as well. And want to remind you folks of just a couple of housekeeping type things. As mentioned, both of our guests, Ken and Randolph, are linked in the description right now. That includes if you're listening via the podcast, as we put all the debates on the podcast within about 24 hours. And Amy Newman is hosting an after show tonight. Anybody who wants to host an after show, let me know. I will link you in the description box just like Amy is right now. So you can check that out as well. And folks, if you did not know, if you have been living in a cave on Mars with your fingers in your ears, as you can see at the bottom right of the screen, Debate Con Part 2, our second conference, is this Saturday, November 19th in Plano, Texas. The link's for your in-person tickets are in the description box. Check out that link. It's going to be huge, folks. We are thrilled for this. 
And with that, we're going to jump into open conversation for about 15 minutes or so, followed by the Q&A. With that, thank you very much, gentlemen. The floor is all yours. Thank you. Okay, Ken, um, I guess I'll start since uh, you seem to be a, a man of uh, not many words at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I noticed you a number of points in your opening statement stood out to me. Uh, one of them was about you had stated that absolute freedom corrupts absolutely. I don't agree with this. Uh, I'm not convinced that that's the case. I'm, I'm wondering why you think that that is a correct statement. So it's obviously an absolute statement. Nice. <laughs> well, um, doubly absolute. You, yeah. If you don't understand it, I'm just going to take a guess, which is that you live in a first world country where you have an overabundance of, of uh, goods, food, uh, freedom and safety. Right. OK, well, in that case, that would mean that your statement is not absolute. No, no, I'm just saying uh, I'm going to just guess that that's the sort of place where you live. I live in Canada. Life's pretty good here. Um, we're not exactly completely out right. of the work with things. There are people here who don't have homes, unfortunately. Uh, but as a country, as a nation, we are working on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I've just, that's my guess. Because if you don't understand how absolute freedom could corrupt absolutely, then you must live in a very comfortable place where you don't have to worry yeah, all that much about other people's absolute freedom uh, clashing with yours to very unpleasant ends. So what I'm getting at is if somebody or a society feels that they literally have the absolute freedom to do whatever they come up with, that that has, the history of humanity has proved that that is an incredibly dangerous way to live. <laughs> Because then it's literally up for grabs. Anybody can do anything they want, whenever they want, however they want to, whomever they want, as much as they want. That just is not uh, realistic. It doesn't work. Well, um, there are, that. as far as I know, pretty much every country has laws and regulations, some, such as health. Uh, like there, There's health departments that make sure that people running restaurants are following certain rules so that uh, the um, so that the food that they serve is not going to hurt people and things like that, not make people sick. And um, there's all kinds of different uh, regulations and whatnot too, uh, how to build structures and whatnot. Now, some countries may be more lax on it than others, uh, but I'm not aware of uh, any country where people have absolute freedom um, in that respect. Nonetheless, uh, the fact that you are bringing forward a context of a particular country, like the one I live in, um, it sounds like you're saying that this rule doesn't really apply here because we have these regulations. And if that's the case, you're um, characterizing that statement as in its absolute way fails because if it is absolute it shouldn't matter which country i'm in okay so it turns out that we agree with each other because okay. yeah okay. you referred to the laws right and laws by definition restrict freedom that's yeah. what a law is so then you, you're agreeing with my statement since absolute freedom corrupts absolutely we need laws to restrict freedom um, I still disagree with it always corrupting people. There are many people who won't be doing corrupt things, even if they have the freedom to do so. Um, and, and so it may result in corruption in some cases. I don't think it will in all. 
Yes, so I think uh, that would be where we disagree, but we agree on the rest of it, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, well, maybe not obviously. What I'm referring to is those places and people who would abuse that freedom towards ends that would be um, not beneficial to society, but would have the opposite effect. So that in general, that's what I'm saying. That's, that was my point. The freedom would corrupt because it's uh, an open door for and okay. it's just uh, that that's how obvious it is that you instantly start talking about laws. And that's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, freedom needs to be restricted because there are those who would have used it. So you mentioned the perfect law of freedom uh, from the Bible. James, I believe is 125, if I remember correctly. Um, I, I, that, I took a quick look at it. It's, it has a portion of that talks about people who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. I'm wondering, what is that perfect law? Well, James doesn't, have, okay, so I can't turn this into a Bible study, but it's just in general I don't mean terms. to turn it into a Bible study, I, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm just curious what you meant by what, what you think that means. The, what is that perfect law? Well, see, we have statements such as elsewhere in the scripture where it talks about that we have freedom, but we shouldn't use it as an excuse for the flesh or all that. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So in other words, it's this slew of uh, behavioral options that are available to us that is the, that absolute freedom, but that the perfect law is to is like I like I said in my opening is to in interact within the parameters, which create true freedom for us. I just give you a quick example of what I'm getting at. So, for instance, there was a time when I told my kids, "You're not allowed to go in the front yard by yourself." You're just not cognitively uh, capable of understanding the dangers out there right near the street and all that. And then they grew up and I would tell them, okay, you can go into the front yard by yourself, but you can't cross the street. And then eventually, well, you can cross the street, just make sure you look both ways. And now, you know, go out and enjoy yourself, but you need to look after your little brother or sister, you see. So that freedom to go outdoors and enjoy themselves was within these parameters that in their case expanded as they grew. So that the perfect laws of freedom is to say, look, within these parameters, you've got all this freedom available to you, but there's just those absolute parameters that you can't cross. That's the law. Okay. Um, that sounds pretty reasonable. Now, um, given that that sounds reasonable, uh, how, why is it, if we have this perfect law of freedom in the Bible, then why is there any need for punishment? Why is there a need to uh, flood a whole world of people because they're breaking rules if they supposedly have this perfect law of freedom to ensure and give them all this freedom? Uh, why do people need to suffer in an afterlife? And, and I consider heaven to be suffering as well because being in the clouds worshiping day after day for an eternity sounds pretty torturous to me as well. <laughs> so... Well, your subjective personal preference isn't a standard, and I'm not aware of that. In fact, I'm not aware of what, okay, what you just said now and the statements you made in your opening statement, I, I don't recognize those things as being uh, an aspect of Christianity. They might be your personal subjective pre uh, experiences somewhere, 
but I, I just did not recognize most of what you claimed was Christian as being Christian. But uh, the question specifically was about punishment. And, uh, and of course, that's what I'm talking about, is that there are these parameters and that if you go beyond them, then it's just to punish. Is, uh, uh, that would just seem to be common sense that if we can't just leave it in the hands of people to say, hey, look, do the right thing. See you later. Take care of it yourselves. They'd be nice if that worked out, but it doesn't seem to. And so this is why, as far as I know, every society that has ever existed, especially the, the quote-unquote better ones, have systems of punishment in place. How could they not? I mean, there's, it's just a sad fact that some people need, to, need the motivation of fearing punishment to behave well. It, it'd be nice if it wasn't that way, but... In well, a lot of cases, it is, right? I mean, we are seeing prison systems uh, gradually reforming and focusing more on rehabilitation rather than punishment. So I, I think we are moving away from punishment as a as the best motive for these kinds of things. Uh, we're certainly heading in this direction here in Canada very slowly. I wish we were going faster on it. And then there's other countries like Norway and uh, um, uh, in the Netherlands that are known for having uh, uh, a much uh, stronger emphasis on rehabilitation and whatnot that that is working with lower recidivism rates um well, well are, i would say that okay no. yeah let, let's not take the concept of punishment and uh, minimalize it because being in prison is is a punishment even oh, yeah. if you're being rehabilitated while you're being in prison so yeah it's not this false dichotomy that there's a punishment that's just sort of um like being imprisoned where you just serve your time and you're out it's not a false dichotomy between that and being rehabilitated, or granted. So, for example, we have a, a very direct example in the scripture where Paul is talking about somebody who is a member of a church because he's allowed to remain a mem member of a church, even though he's involved in um, very shameful sin. And he tells the congregation, you need to put him out. But what is the purpose of putting him out? So that eventually he'll be able to come back in. Right. Uh, the purpose so, of putting them out in older times like then would be quite devastating to be excluded from a community. You lose your supports. It can be a threat to your life, very seriously. Medieval times were pretty horrible, not luxurious like today. So it's uh, people can be on their own now without having a lot of friends and still survive quite well. But in the past, you really depended on community. That was necessary. Right. So, so, so that would be a heavy motivator to conform yep. with the society that has these high ethics. So you would not want to be in that situation. Yeah. So if there's the idea that uh, I mentioned about the afterlife uh, in the clouds with heaven or, and I didn't say it, but it's kind of implied that the concept of hell and burning forever in torture and uh, all this is um, an idea that's put forward by a lot of Christians. I've encountered, uh, I can probably count them on my hand. If I really thought about it on one hand, the number of Christians who've said that that's not part of Christianity. It seems the vast majority are, um, at least the concept of heaven anyway. Uh, the concept of hell, there's quite a few more who will say that's not it, which is why I didn't mention it earlier. Um, so that, that's, it, it's not my own preference. It is um, where I've heard other Christians talk about this a lot. And um, they even tell me that uh, if I uh, don't conform to their religion, that I'm going to be destined for this hell, <clears throat> this hellish afterlife. So 
that to me seems to be um, uh, something inspired by Christianity um, that is not not a good thing. This is to me, this is bad for society. And I take a look at things like you mentioned traditional marriage. Um, according to Christianity, traditional marriage is between a man and a woman, but uh, you know, the, the concept of marriage did not come from Christianity as I understand it, um, but Christianity capitalized on it and uh, imposed these limits. And yet there are many people who want to be married to people of the same sex or want to be married to more than one partner. And uh, there are limitations in our legal systems that are heavily influenced from uh, Christianity that that disallow these things. And um, I'm wondering how such an imposition on marriage and the Christian form of traditional marriage, um, limited to two people of the opposite sexes, um, is somehow beneficial uh, when what we're seeing is it doesn't look like it really makes any difference. Well, like I said in the opening, as far as I know, the, within the Bible is where we have the only actual establishment of what marriage is. That's not merely just presupposed or um, you know, begged, borrowed, and stolen. Sure. And Why is that standard better than uh, what I'm suggesting, that it not be limited to two people and it not uh, dictate which sexes the people have to be? Okay, so because there's a created order on our theology and the creator established that that would be the form of marriage. And as I said before, it's been widely recognized throughout the millennia. That is, that is the most stable form of intimate relationship and family. Now, if somebody wants to have alternative lifestyles, then they can come up with another kind of term for that but referring it to, to it as a marriage. And, and I mean, I'm not going to get into all the linguistics. Sure. That, yeah, yeah, that would just be some, yeah, that would just be semantic stuff. But um, to claim that it's marriage is just, it will be a category error. Right? And so, I mean, it doesn't require much to... Um, consider the stability that these uh, micro-societies bring to the macro-society. But now, um, let me just, if I may, um, something odd I found in your opening statement is that you were faulting Christianity for divisiveness and bring shame and tribalism, but you spoke in terms of divisiveness, shame, and tribalism. So uh, you're bringing... Uh, uh, divisive atheism, um, divisive uh, atheist shame, and atheist tribalism in order to condemn those things. Atheist then, tribalism. <laughs> right. Uh, because by saying that um, Christianity, as well as, by the way, you refer to all religions, do these things, you, you were basically doing the same exact thing that you fault them for doing. You were being tribalistic, you were bringing shame, and you were being divisive by saying, not those these not those but atheists atheism not religions it's so it's just was, basically a flat contradiction well i was uh, uh, to to be clear i was uh, focused on the ideas that are put forward by christianity 
And then what I'm seeing as an artifact of that is that people are being shunned or vilified or stigmatized for not being part of the religion. And to me, that's a problem. Uh, atheism doesn't have anything that promotes the ideas that people are worse off for not being atheist, for believing in something. There, there's nothing in atheism that states that. Uh, <laughs> there may not be anything in atheism because uh, atheism is not a being, it has no mind or no volition, but uh, atheists essentially yeah. ma make their living off of that stuff. Uh, that's... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at you. I'm kind of no, laughing at, at thinking back to the thousands of atheists with whom I've interacted who are demanding precisely that thing, that I need to give up my beliefs in order to convert to theirs because they found the one truth about reality. Oh, uh, but you won't find that attitude from me. I, I know there are some atheists who do that. I, I don't encounter very many. Um, most just don't want to have anything to do with uh, the religious aspects of things, and they just don't want it imposing on their lives. Um, so, but then, like, but then, but then, was it your point about the divisiveness, shame, and tribalism in all religions? Wasn't that an appeal to that those things should not be done, but rather we should be um, adhering to atheism because it lacks those things? As erroneous as all that was, I'm just saying, wasn't that your point? So. I talked about the religious persecution and that it's an artifact of tribalism born from the religious authoritarianism. Uh, and that, that is, uh, uh, that's what I was talking about. So the authoritarianism seems to come when you have people who are uh, in control of a number of people, like a populace of a country or, or of a local city or, or whatever, and uh, they, or even a tribe, and they uh, impose what they consider to be virtuous aspects of the religion onto everybody in that society. And if somebody doesn't conform, they get punished for not conforming. And that's why I mentioned, for example, uh, the stoning of adulterers. And it's a, it very much is authoritarian because uh, authoritarianism because the punishments don't fit the crime. They're they're using fear tactics to rule uh, because their people are are not um, uh, like it, adultery. Does it really justify killing a person with some painful method of stoning or seriously injuring them with stoning? just because they have some problem with their marriage and it's not working out, um, you know, there's, or whatever the reason is they're having the affair. If that's the case, not being in the marriage anymore seems like a reasonable consequence for that. Cause the other party doesn't want that. that's betrayal, of course, but uh, to, to, to throw stones at them and kill them or seriously maim them for, for something like that is really is, is a punishment that doesn't fit the situation in my view. And uh, 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 see, okay, let me, um, so yeah, I take issue with it and I, I don't think that's right. And, and in Canadian law, uh, people are not punished and don't go to prison and don't have to pay fines for this sort of thing. Okay. So a couple things. One is remember that, this debate is atheism versus Christianity. There's nothing in all of Christianity ever, not one single time, about stoning adulterers. So you're off by a few millennia. But then I'm interested in how that's even an issue, because I am paying attention that in your opening, you referred to, I prefer to live. And you just said, in my view, and I take issue with it. And all those statements, strike of subjectivism so, so that gonna, this this is sort of like 
Christianity versus whatever Randolph wants to come up with in, at any given moment. Uh, no, I didn't come up with this. And I'm going to clarify, this debate is about Christianity or atheism, which is better for societies. It's not just Christianity versus atheism. I'll point you to, you're, you're claiming that I created that idea about uh, people being stoned for adultery. I'll draw your attention well, to, no, no. I draw no, your no. attention to Leviticus 20, uh, uh, verse 10 through 12, yes. which oh, reads, no, no. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, even with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. And there's some translations that talk about stoning them to death. This idea did not come from me. This comes from the Bible. I I, I didn't even come close to implying that. I'm I'm saying you just proved to me that you're off by a few millennia. That's not Christianity. That's in the Bible. How is that not Christianity if it's in the Bible? (laughs) That's not how it works. So you have a fundamental level of misunderstanding of what Christianity is. Right? Because something's in the Bible doesn't mean that it's Christian. Okay, that's why I'm saying uh, oh. you're, uh, it's anachronistic. That's not part of Christianity. never has been um, in any way, shape, or form. So that's m- millennia before that. In a culture, by the way, where even an atheist would have said, hey, this is the cultural standard. And for cultural cohesion, we're going to do this because that's the thing that a culture does. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with it on atheism besides the fact um, that there's nothing wrong on atheism with stoning somebody for adultery or, or for a punishment not fitting atheism the crime. There's, there's fundamental. I'm sorry? Atheism doesn't promote that, though. This is uh, atheism is not a moral standard, but Christianity exactly. puts out to be a moral standard, and people draw from the Bible to define Christianity. And you're saying that uh, Christianity is not uh, defined by the Bible. Is am I right? No, no. I'm saying that you're referring to laws that were agreed upon by um, Israelites who lived millennia before the time of Jesus within a monarchy within a certain region, right? And so that particular law is not applicable to Christianity, never has been, not even close, not even once ever. Mm -hmm. It's... Then why is it in the holy doctrine of Christianity, the Bible? Well, because that's a reference for us to understand how it was within a certain region, again, within a certain region that was um, under a monarchy, under certain laws that were agreed to be followed. I mean, this is like Christianity 101. This is Bible 101, that there's an Old and New Testament, an Old and New Covenant. That, that I Okay. This isn't even an issue. Um, where where in the New Testament does it say that um, people are not to be stoned for adultery or not to be put to death for adultery anymore? So Is it I, I, appreciate, I appreciate your question. Yeah. But as with any such uh, ethical issues, it's, it's a lot more complicated than it would seem. So, for example, Jesus says that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then remember that... Christianity, okay, Christianity, again, are, refers to people who are followers of the way, Jesus. So we see that he never did or acted such a thing. 
neither did the 12 apostles, neither did the 72 disciples, neither did any Christian ever within the past two millennia. So that's a pretty good hint that, that, that it was understood that a fulfillment had taken place and that the new covenant was in place. That's just like basic level 101 is we're not only looking at the written texts. Again, remember what I said about the spirit of the law and the word of the law. We're seeing that it's not in the word of the law and that it's no longer in the spirit of the law. And when we look back at the exemplars of Christianity, beginning with Jesus himself, that's just not part of it. That's why it never has been, not even once. But again, uh, I can't even imagine what would be wrong with that on atheism, particularly when we're looking at it as a part of the social order that would have been maintained for a better society. Well, atheism uh, doesn't me, have any covenants. There's there's nothing there guiding morality or ethics. That's being decided by individual atheists. And, and sometimes people ask me how I get that, but I'm I, I don't expect to answer that unless I'm asked. But uh, the um, uh, the problem I have with this is you're 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 saying that this is New Testament and it's as if you're saying the Old Testament no longer applies. And if that's the case, then the Old Testament shouldn't even be included in the Bible anymore because you've got this book that has all these things like Leviticus and everything else in it. And then you've got Jesus come along saying he's fulfilling the old law. Like this is not leaving us in a better place. This is leaving these old things intact like killing people for adultery unless they're specifically saying no, because this is the way laws work normally is they're very specific. They'll either remove them or they'll add clarification and specifically reference them. And I don't see this happening between old and new Testament. And that, that's why I asked the question if uh, where, where is it being clarified that uh, their uh, people are not to be put to death for adultery. Right. So, that's why I took the time to explain oh, yeah. what it's meant by the fulfillment. And uh, in various places in the New Testament, particularly Hebrews, you can read all about how the old covenant is fulfilled and a new one is being established. And then I appeal to the example, because remember, um, Jesus says you will know them by their fruit. And we're supposed to produce fruit commensurate with Jesus' examples. And so we don't see any of that. Uh, in Jesus, not his apostles, not his disciples, not anybody for the past two millennia. So I, I think that's, having to repeat that, I think that's probably enough. But uh, I would imagine that you might have to say that on atheism, if someone decided to do that, it would be allowable, right? Because remember, atheism has nothing to do with morals. Correct. So that would be permissible, right? So it it wouldn't even be permissible. It's it's not addressed. It, it's it. Exactly. It's a classification. Exactly. We don't believe in deities, and that's the thing. It's well, uh, no, no, no. What is, We're not what talking about and what is meant is that people are not imposed or required to be Christians in society under no, an atheistic society. No, no, of course, no. I'm 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 speaking within context. We're talking about stoning for adultery, and okay. I'm saying that atheism would uh, opens the door for that to be allowable. It doesn't open the door. It doesn't address it, period. It's it's uh, it's incidental. So in other words, it couldn't say anything against it. No, atheism doesn't address it. Exactly. That's, yeah. That would be a problem, though. That wouldn't be like a solution. But it's actually a problem. 
there's some serious problem. And if you want to say it's just historic in Christianity, because it's in the older part of the Bible, um, even granted, even if I grant that just alone and say that's acceptable to say that used to be the case. The problem is it used to be the case coming from a creator who knows everything. There's there's well, a problem with this. The punishment does not fit the circumstance. It does not fit okay, the action. Okay, it does not fit the uh, you're, you're punting. You're, you're punting and you're begging the question: What on atheism would require that all of humanity through all time only meet out punishment that's uh, fit to the crime? No, I'm not saying atheism does that. That's what people in modern civilized societies tend to go for. We've started with the Magna Carta. We went moved on to the International Declaration of Human Rights, which improved on that. John Rawls' Veil of Ignorance was introduced. That comes from his book, Theory of Justice, in the 1970s. And then uh, we've got our, in Canada, we have the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and other countries have their own uh, doctor, uh, their own uh, uh, documentation on how people in their legal system on how people have these rights and their various rights are included or, or protected. Australia does this. This is done in the UK. This is done in many countries around the world. The US also has protections for people, religious freedoms and whatnot, and, so and all kinds of other freedoms so, so the, it's, the things it seems do, like when i look at christianity i see a lot of impositions and a lot of restrictions a lot of arbitrary things being listed there like in the ten commandments that comes up is cited constantly by christians in these kinds of in, in many of these kinds of debates and one of them is that um there it, it dictates what people must believe or not believe there shall be no gods before me is one of the commandments another one is um uh, I don't remember them all, but uh, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden. But but you know what I mean. Uh, there's there's all these different things. Oh yeah, it, they shall not make graven images, and uh, you know it's dictating what people can and can't draw on a piece of paper or chisel out of a stone or something. Like these things are not conducive to freedom, and they are not conducive to free thinking and people uh, having the freedom to express themselves in the way that they feel they need to express themselves. Well, I think what I'm getting out of your statements is that stoning people for adultery used to be moral, but it no longer is. Oh, no, I've never uh, said that. Um, I disagree with it at any time because I've been very clear in stating that it does not uh, fit the uh, alleged offense. Okay, but, but remember, I'm not, I'm not debating what you think or you feel. I'm debating atheism. Okay. And so on atheism, on an atheistic worldview, on an atheistic evolutionary worldview, um, and I'm, I'm using the term morality even though I have a problem with it, but I don't think I want to go in, in that direction tonight. We, it, should, it, we should talk about it, morality another time. I, I, I bet you have some interesting thoughts on it. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be very interested to hear what you say because I have some I do. issues with it myself. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hesitant on using the term moral, but I'm doing it just because it's common parlance. So, sure. so uh, on an atheistic view, since it used to be done, since the society agree upon it, since it made for a better society, therefore, it, by definition, it was moral. It's just that nowadays you take it upon yourself to say, you know, I don't like that. Uh, which, of course, is not a, a, a moral condemnation of it. You're just expressing your subjective personal preference that it's something you don't like. Like you might tell us you don't like a certain ice cream flavor. Okay, and, you, I'm, and I'm giving... Unless there's... One more, one more thought. Unless you're claiming that there's an absolute moral that's a universal imperative, 
then you can't claim that something in the past was immoral when that society says otherwise. Let me just read you a quick quote, if I can. A couple I'm, of I'm not claiming mind. objective morality. That's the Are problem. <laughs> That's the problem. Right. Since you're not claiming objective morality, you can't say that was objectively wrong. You can't say, I didn't it, was say it was objectively wrong. I didn't say it was objectively wrong. I didn't actually say that. I That's the inference I, I took from your implication. Okay. So then I'm not sure what you're saying. I really don't understand what, what I'm saying is that the the problem that I have with it, and I justified my stance on it, is that the punishment is not fitting to the offense. And that's, that's, to me, that's a form of injustice. It's not okay. justice. So injustice to me is immoral. So you're saying that it's objectively, absolutely immoral for a punishment to not fit the crime. Again, you're putting objectively in there. I challenge people to give me an example of an objective moral, and uh, nobody ever has. I am not a proponent of objective morality. I never have been. Therefore, therefore, you have disqualified yourself from ever condemning anything, and that's why you keep on appealing to your subjectivism. And so I'm not is, debating your subjectivism. I'm debating is, atheism, but you're saying atheism has nothing to do with this. Is Christianity, in your view, an objective standard of morality? Uh, okay, so this is a bit linguistic again. Christianity. No, I'm asking a clear question because you're claiming no, fine. something about me. And so uh, it, it sounds like you're implying that you're on the objective moral standard track. So I'm asking you to clarify whether Christianity is an objective moral standard or not. Right. So given certain definitions and usages, sure. Yes, I'll go with that. Okay. So what is it that makes Christianity objective? Because it looks to me like it's the opinions of a deity according to the Bible. But if the Bible is not representative of Christianity, then you'll need to clarify this. Well, no, I, I didn't say the Bible wasn't representative of Christianity. I'm just saying that we need to understand what Christians have understood for the past two millennia and kind of take it into consideration when we're taking on an issue such as what is Christian. And How does that make it objective? So it makes it objective because by definition, it comes from without. It's extrinsic. It's absolute. It's a universal imperative. It's not just things that we subjectively made up and then uh, promulgate. I mean, these are parts of the created order. And how do you know so, it's part of the created order? Is it because well, it's written in the Bible? Well, see, that's a, okay, this debate presupposes Christianity as is and atheism as is. So if we are going to debate uh, that kind of issue, that's a whole different topic. And, and what I'm well, having quite relevant with, to this, because you're trying to argue for Christianity being an objective moral standard. And I am not convinced that that's the case. So you're not convincing me. Uh, now, if you want to give me an example of an objective moral standard that uh, comes from Christianity uh, exclusively, then, yeah, we can look at that. Oh, um, I think that that it would come from Christianity exclusively would be a fundamental miscomprehension of Christian theology. So let me maybe work, maybe we'll work our way towards there. So I'll give you well, then an that, example. That, and that is a concession against your own position that Christianity is better for societies then, because there, it may not be the only option. Well, let's maybe 
take some baby steps here. So, for example, an, <laughs> an objective moral, <laughs> an objective mor- moral would be, uh, yeah. Better, better, better. moral would, yeah. would be, We're both fathers. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I've learned more theology just becoming a dad than I ever have in any other possible way. Because it puts the boots on the ground. But anyhow, so an objective moral would be, for example, that uh, murder is objectively condemnable. It is an absolute wrong. Remember, I mentioned that in my uh, opening, that uh, recognize different categories of taking of a human life. And murder, as far as I can tell, has been condemned regardless of chronology, geography, or theology, regardless of when people live, where they live, what they believe, regardless, it's always been considered objectively wrong. It is. uh, This is a standard that seems to be kind of a double standard, um, murder of just human beings or all life. And we take a look at the Jain Dharmas, they'll wear cheesecloth on their faces so they can uh, avoid breathing in bugs and organisms and killing them. I'm serious, they do this. I look at countries, I look at countries like the US, which have a strong Christian influence in their political system, and they have capital punishment in many of the states. Capital punishment is a systemic form of murder, especially when in the case of somebody being a wrongfully convicted, it is not properly justified. That's murder. So in that case, we have entire countries that are committing acts of murder systemically, systematically. So I you, definitely... Are you opposed agree- to capital punishment then? No, no. Um, I'm agreeing with you that that is um, fundamentally complicated issue because you can very easily cross the line from killing into murder Uh, but you're proving my point you're saying murder is condemnable that's exactly what i'm talking about where that doesn't come from atheism no it doesn't come from atheism it's uh, so now again atheism is not such a standard see what happens when we're in an atheistic society what we need to do is cooperate to create our own standards that adhere to the needs of humanity christianity doesn't seem to do that when you have the needs of humanity are uh wanting to marry in different ways and christianity is saying absolutely no you can't have anything outside of their definition of traditional marriage and uh, multiple more than two parties is not acceptable people of the same sex is not not acceptable and on and on um that's not serving the needs of humanity that's not better for societies it's well, better that people figure out these things on our own and and figure out what works best for the populace as a whole okay i think but so in other words, if it works best for the populace to promulgate only one form of true marriage, then that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah, if the whole society is in agreement with that, definitely yes. Okay, so... But the know, case that, of B, we take a look at people wanting to, uh, who are of the same sex, who want to get married, and all these Christian pundits coming along and saying, absolutely not, the Bible doesn't allow it, it is unacceptable, it's not traditional Christian marriage, and they want to impose the Christianity on people. People are not getting the freedom that they are entitled to. Actually, they're drowning in freedom, and they're having any kind of alleged marriage that they want, and because... Uh, you know, I remember you mentioning in your statement 
something about the Christianity being involved in government and promulgating laws. But when it comes down to it, Christianity needs no government. It was born out of a place where it did not have anything to say to the government or, or, or was not part of the government so that it can exist in, in isolation, even if the entire government is 100% secular, the Christian can still live a Christian life. Yes, um, right. Meaning, no, no, but I'm, I'm talking about from the inside out, like we don't need uh, government authority to practice Christianity. And, Correct. And often practice it in the face of persecution. I actually think so, that, uh, that um, governments should not be telling people how to practice their religions. Um, what governments should be doing is protecting the populace, protecting the citizens, so that people's freedoms are not imposed, uh, are not impinging on other people, limiting other people's freedoms as a result, or, or harming them against their will and things like this, why we have some regulations. And, and this, this kind of makes and, sense. Yeah. And I know that we would right there and then and there recognize that this is a lot more complicated because, yeah. for example, if I have a religion that claims that I should take over the government and wield authority, <laughs> then that government, by definition, would be um, opposing my religion and restricting it. I mean, we understand this is a lot more complicated when the rubber hits the road, but Again, um, yep. I just can't get away from the fact that I'm not hearing anything in this debate about atheism, and that's what I signed up to debate, not just whatever Randall, Randolph has to say uh, on any given issue as his subjective personal preference du jour. Oh, I, I cited an example of the stoning of people for committing adultery and uh, uh, how that is a bad influence. This does not help societies. This works against them. Another one is uh, but, dividing but, well, people, hold on. Giving, let's, granting let's, them accolades let's... of being chosen as if they're part of an exclusive club. And that's the hold device on. of part of it. And then okay. there's the enslavement of human beings, which we didn't get into at all, which so, is promoted by the just... Bible. Okay, but let's back up for a second because this is already covered ground in this debate. Uh, I'm, again, I'm Slavery. debating atheism, and you're admitting that you have nothing to say on atheism about those issues, so that you're really conceding the debate. You should really say, well, look, uh, this debate needs to be retitled <laughs> Christianity versus Randolph and his subjective personal preference. Well, you know, I could say the same. Yeah, I could say the same about you because you're saying that uh, parts of the Bible don't apply to Christianity. That sounds more like your opinion, since most of the Christians I know do cite Leviticus and other parts of the Bible that you're saying is not part of it anymore because of the covenant. So, you know, we're we're at we're at a standstill here. (laughs) That's the case. We're we're both saying the other has conceded in effect. Let's try an experiment. If you could find me even one single Christian in the past two millennia, including right now, that thinks that stoning people for adultery is part of Christianity, I would very, very much like to talk to you. I, I've, spoken with some. I've spoken with some. And you see the people in the, the U.S. are talking about stuff uh, about traditional marriage and pushing on that, too. It's a similar issue. Well, that's not even in the same category. Of no, course, it's not uh, the same category because it doesn't lead to death. But some of them want them dead. But, but let's let's. Okay, it's well, like a part of the Bible that talks about if uh, a man sleeps with another man, that he should be put to death. It doesn't say about women sleeping with other women. So that's only half okay. of 
the population, but uh, roughly, but nonetheless, it's still a, a ridiculous and uh, and uh, human rights violating kind of ideal. Well, thus saith Randolph, and I don't uh, accept. Oh, there's human rights people backing up on this. There's international law to back me up on this. Exactly the, the the subjective promulgations of accidentally existing apes, and they have I as much authority as the one I'm speaking to. Right. <laughs> I, I did write those laws, so to credit me for it would be uh, misleading our audience. No, no, no. Of course, I wasn't even close to implying that. I'm saying oh, okay. that <laughs> you're telling me, thus they have somebody else, therefore it's absolute and a universal imperative. And I'm saying uh, that that's not even close to being cogent. No, I actually, mean, those laws are properly justified. Um, they're, uh, there's... There are, in the Human Rights Code, some things that do agree with some parts of Christianity, um, such as um, uh, thou shalt not kill. Well, they're specifically talking about murder, whereas the Bible is talking about killing, uh, not necessarily just murder in the Ten Commandments there. And um, so I disagree with that standard because there are times when we do need to kill, uh, such as uh, when someone's requesting assisted suicide or assisted death, um, um, euthanasia. Assisted death is the proper term, I think. And uh, or if it's in self-defense, we need to do that. And self-defense can be classified under the law as murder when really it's self-defense, depending on how badly the laws are written. In some countries, it is. Well, you know, uh, what's interesting is there are certain English translations that have a commandment that says, Thou shalt not murder. But obviously, when you read the concepts, it should read killing. But regardless of the specific linguistic word that's chosen, is mm-hmm. the concept behind it that gives you the idea that regardless of what you call it, you could call it A and B or one and two. You're dealing with different categories altogether, and that's part of the the fascinating nature of what I've been stating uh, in my opening, which is this interaction. Um, Why is of it the complexity so of human actions when when the rubber hits the ground? But I would wonder if you would agree. I'm going to make a few statements, and I'm. I, seem to get away from circling and then I, back then I want to find out from you why so many Christians disagree on Christianity. But go ahead. Start with your sure, statements. Sure. So would you agree it's an intrinsic characteristic of atheism that it leaves people with personal sovereignty because there are no requirements to conform to anything ideological or otherwise and it's foundational. Um, it is foundational to all humanity. Right, that that happened. Uh, I agree up to the point where you say, before you said uh, uh, foundational of all humanity, um, it is a, a natural occurrence in all of humanity. Okay, how about atheism doesn't provide moral direction since it is merely the classification of not believing in deities, hence it fails to qualify as influential to morality, ultimately leaving every atheist with an inherent freedom to independently determine what is or isn't moral. See, I, I mostly agree with that. Um, uh, there was a part that you said, it, I just lost it. Could you start again and I'll pause you? <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, the first one or second? The second Both. one, the one you just said. Okay, atheism doesn't provide moral direction. Correct. Since it is merely the classification of not believing in deities. Right. Hence, it fails to qualify as influential to morality. 
Okay, so it fails to qualify as influential to morality. Uh, this is uh, a statement that makes it kind of move away. It's it's in, it's incidental. Is all it is. It, it there's really no need to put any inference there. The way I see it, but the rest of the whole statement I agree with. Yeah, ultimately leaving every atheist with an inherent freedom to independently determine what is or isn't moral. Yep. Yeah, we're left with that. And and I find uh, John Rawls' theory of justice, his concept of the veil of ignorance, to be uh, an extremely helpful tool in making these kind of determinations. But that's just me. Other atheists have different ways of doing it. And the most important thing is that as a society, we work together to determine what's going to serve humanity the best. If Christianity wants this, this is the way it is. But this is a big if. If the society wants to work together and if it agrees on what is best, however they define it. But but my point Therein lies the challenge. (laughs) Exactly. Right. So going back to the debate topic, again, Christianity versus atheism, this seems to be saying that since the atheist is left with an inherent freedom to independently determine what is and isn't moral, then that's what I was trying to get at before, which is that if an atheist decides that stoning for adultery is moral, then by definition, it's moral. That's the freedom the atheist has. And the inherent problem with morals, as you may agree, is they tend to be subjective. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, the people a long time ago thought that that was a moral thing to do. I disagree. And I suppose the people who committed adultery would probably disagree at the time, too, as they're just about to be stoned. (laughs) So it it certainly can't be called objective in in that sense. Um, I'm curious uh, why so many Christians disagree on how on what Christianity is to the point of having tens of thousands of competing denominations that uh, uh, disagree sometimes on major points and other times on minor points. If Christianity is something that can be good for societies, it needs to be pretty clear what its meanings are. And if you've got so many people disagreeing with them, that's going to be perhaps more dysfunctional. It's not a great standard to go by. It, it, It fails as a standard in that regards, in my view. Well, so to begin with, there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, those disagreements on atheism. So I I don't mind talking to you about it if that's what we're left doing, because because essentially you conceded the debate. You can't debate this debate. (laughs) I didn't concede the debate. (laughs) But but I'm saying you, you can't debate the debate because whenever I bring up atheism, you just say it's irrelevant to the discussion. And if it's irrelevant to the discussion... I can't bring it into the debate. I actually pointed out in my opening statement why atheism works better because we don't have all these rules, arbitrary rules imposed on us. We're figuring them out for ourselves and making society a better place. And, you know, there was a time in the U.S. when USA, for example, and many other countries um, that people used the used Christianity to justify human slavery. And people went against that, went against the Christian teachings and the Christian Bible to say, no, we shouldn't be doing this slavery anymore. And, and some of them were Christians as well that were interpreting Christianity 
Christianity differently than other Christians, but there are a lot of them that weren't Christian at all who are also opposed to it, and we've moved on from that. We, we left those old standards behind, and we've progressed. I think the world's a much better place without slavery. The Christian Bible and Christianity is definitely pro-slavery. So I think uh, that's a good reason to throw out Christianity as being something that's good for societies. Okay. So, yeah, let me take a step back because uh, I did make a misstatement. I said you conceded the debate, which would have meant that you agreed with me. What I really meant to say is that you were not able to argue your side of the debate because you keep saying atheism is not relevant to this debate. Instead, just like you no, did now, I think I it's think, not relevant to this debate. I did not say that. But, but you imply it every single time I bring up atheism. I'll give you an example. So you said that in atheism, we don't have these arbitrary rules imposed upon us. Correct. But since it's an inherent freedom to independently determine what is and isn't moral, if an atheist says that they do want to impose arbitrary rules on other people, then that would be perfectly moral. So by definition. You're talking about in a society. So this is one of the aspects of societies that people need to get along. We want the rules to be as flexible and open as possible, but there are some places where we need to draw the line. We need to draw the line at things like people having proper health codes to operate their restaurants and make sure the food isn't poisoning or harming people. We need to make sure building structures are built to code so they don't fall down on people, things like that. And these are normal things that we see in all societies, regardless of whether they're religious or atheistic. And uh, these things tend to naturally develop that over time. This happens because people realize that there's a need for these things. Christianity comes along and uh, puts itself up there as, or people say it's uh, presented as something that is the blueprint for running every great society. And yet we see societies born from Christianity that have human slavery, that have uh, killing people for adultery, that limit people on who they can marry and different things like that. These are not, in my opinion, are not better for societies. I guess it'll be up to our audience to decide uh, if James wants to put up a vote. <laughs> <laughs> it's not up for the to the audience to decide because it's not uh, subjective. That's sort of been the point all along. So you know, I'm yeah, not sure not where subjective. you really. I think you mean not objective, right? No, it's whether those things are so or not is not subjective up for public opinion. It's it's that's something that would be very atheistic, but not Christian. That we uh, do an argumentum at populum and just whoever I decides the majority wins type of thing because By they're, the ones they're not up for debate sounds very much authoritarianism to me it sounds like authoritarianism to me <laughs> yeah just like saying that it sounds authoritarian so therefore it's objectively immoral unless you want to take that back in which case you discredited your own complaint got a few more minutes before we go to q a I have serious okay. objections to authoritarianism, and well, uh, I know you. Yes, you yep. do, and many people. The do. individual, the individual Randolph making emotively subjective personal preference-based statements. Yes, but that's not what I'm debating. I'm not debating your feelings or your thoughts or your personal preferences. That's been the problem all along. So, so you like want this, me to present this, something objective versus what you think is objective? Is that what well, you're no, saying? It's something that is that follows from atheism. 
okay, what follows from atheism is people cooperating and creating uh, newer laws and standards that seem to serve all of humanity quite well. We see that here in Canada. We see that in other countries as well. But what follows from atheism is also the 100% exact opposite because it's an inherent freedom to independently determine what is and isn't moral. So I could say the exact opposite follows from atheism, and you would have to concede that, yeah, that also falls from atheism. It's just that I have a personal preference as otherwise. And the problem with Christianity is the same thing happens. People interpret their their uh, their religion in different ways to justify things. We look at Jim Jones doing things all in the name of Christianity. Whoa, 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 whoa. Faith doing uh, uh, Jim Jones was an atheist. And, uh, and we Jim see Jones all these things coming out of it. The sexism, the intolerance, <laughs> well, on, the anti-LGBTQ <laughs> stuff. The, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. All these things going on that are a problem. Okay. And the majority and, and the anti-abortion people and they're all See, about restricting. You're just listing personal preferences. So that's been preferences the problem the, throughout this whole debate. Is that these are things I'm objecting to that come from exactly uh, Christians. Exactly. You are personally objecting to these things. And one of the replies I could give is I could care less what you object to because I'm not interested in your emotively subjective personal preference. The influence of Christianity on society. The influence of Christianity on society is problematic. And we see that demonstrated time and again. Uh, but Christianity is based on grace and love and service. And, and this woman, I mean, that's there, was what woman in the news, there was a woman in the news recently who, a few years ago, who drove her car into a, uh, into a pond or something and there were, her kids yes. were strapped in and they died. Right. And she said that, the, uh, uh, that God told her to do it. The Christian God. Right. So, so that's her so that right. You're saying she's wrong. You're saying everybody's wrong except for you when it comes to Christianity, right? Well, uh, I wouldn't even imagine any such a thing. But the point okay. is, remember, I talked about the letter of the law. So we're talking about the Bible. And then we're talking about the example set by Jesus, the apostle, the disciples, and 2,000 years worth of uh, Christians, which by definition would be people who produce fruits that are uh, like Jesus was. And there's nothing in any of that, in any way, shape, or form that could lead anybody to think, yep, she's a woman in her right mind, and uh, God actually spoke to her, and that was a commandment by God. There's just nothing within Christianity whatsoever, okay. in any way, shape, so, or form, that would lead to that conclusion. So let's You're see. saying, she said it, therefore it's true. That would be an atheistic position. It's not out of character. Jesus is moral, it's therefore not out it of character. It's not out of character for the Christian God. Remember, God ordered uh, uh, Abraham to kill his own son, Isaac. There's okay, precedent so here. There's not. There's <laughs> so, not. There's, of course, there's, you know. Whole, there's, there's no precedent anywhere in Christianity for any <laughs> such a thing. But, but let's talk about the oh, betterment. you're saying that God did not order Abraham to kill Isaac. Okay, let's take that as a very good example. What happened in that? Terrible example, but okay. What came What came out of it? Uh, his son almost got killed until there was some intervention, not by God himself. So, you know, there's a serious problem here. God was happy to let it all happen and walk okay, away. Okay, so since we're running out of time, let me just run through that very, very, very quickly. Okay. So this is chronologically when Abraham is just beginning to get to know God. And God tells him to sacrifice his own son. And Abraham apparently thought, well, of course, that's that's the cultural zeitgeist. Everybody's doing it, man. Yeah, this is just common. Of course, I'm going to sacrifice him to you. 
um, even though we find out that he actually realized that, okay, you know, God promised certain things through through my son. So even if he has a, to resurrect him, he will. But what comes out of that is God telling us time and again, this is not who I am. This is not what I want. I, I never even imagined that you should actually be doing such things. And this is why Christianity, Judaism, and by extension, Islam has never ever, when faithful to God, practiced human sacrifice. This example of God saying, I understand that this is just common practice in the worship of pagan gods, but I am not like that. You are not to do this. And that has led to millennia upon millennia's worth of the overwhelming majority of the planet's population not doing that because of that thing that you're condemning that turned out to be so, so good for every society in which it's been practiced. I condemn it. And it's my point that uh, to, to respond to what you had said about this woman saying God ordered her to kill her own children. Right. Because that God no would never do that. And then I, I cite the story of Abraham. You pronounced Abraham. I'll go with that. Um, you probably say it more correctly than I did earlier. Um, and uh, Abraham being ordered to kill his own son uh, by God. So, you know, it's, Forget it. He's with the point being so that God made it crystal clear that He never wants any such thing done by anybody at any time then ever as a universal imperative absolute. So you can't just throw that order? away to get back to one of your favorite talking points. Why shore. did He command I mean, it? Why did He command it? I just finished explaining it is so that you could see that. While that was part of the cultural zeitgeist, so atheists would have gone along with it because it's just what society deemed was moral, God says, no, absolutely not, which is why it led to millennia worth of the three great monotheistic faiths never, ever doing any such a thing because that was the lesson God was teaching. This is not who I am. I do not want this ever by anybody, which is that why that one single human being you can appeal to she was dead wrong. That's why. So he used, he put Isaac's life at risk to teach everybody something. What a terrible, terrible foundation to work from. Well, I think that you're myopic. You, you're not considering what I just pointed out at least twice, which is this is why when you live in a faithful Christian society, in a faithful Jewish one, and in a faithful Muslim one, you will not have to fear having being sacrificed to God. And it's been that way for millennia. Right. So this is the this okay. is how we got a window into who and what God is. But don't miss my point that on atheism, as clunky as the argument is, that would have been perfectly acceptable because that was the cultural zeitgeist. That was what society deemed moral, and it would have been perfectly acceptable to sacrifice a child to a god except that, that under except that under a, a, a theocracy people would not be permitted to question god's laws uh, well under atheism people are not prevented or limited from questioning the current legal system and therefore we see more progress and improvement in a society where people are free to question things including the authoritarians who run it thank you but, but keep in mind that, that the, the exact opposite is also the case on atheism because it's absolutely free. Two minutes, Ken, and then we'll give two minutes to Randolph and then we'll go into the Q&A.
Well, closing statements, right? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, James. You bet. Go ahead, Ken. Well, uh, Randolph, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Very fascinating and also frustrating because I know that we both Sorry. recognize um, some of these issues require a lot more depth and detail and we can only do so much. But I mean, I think that we did what we could with the time we have. Um, ultimately, I'm going to go back to Randolph's, well, my own opening, which is that um the betterment of society is a vertical and horizontal relationship, man to God and man to each other, uh, because that instantly grants people honor, dignity, and worth. Uh, whereas we don't have that in an accidental universe populated by accidental beings who can accidentally discern reality to which they're not, um, um, there's no universal imperative to adhere to it. And there's, um, absolute freedom to claim one thing and also the exact opposite and they're both cogent such a an accidentally existing universe uh, god's very nature in essence gives us an example of true and dynamic conflict-free relationships and wherever christianity has been left to do its thing in its pure form which is it's only true form it has benefited society greatly to the point that we don't even recognize it because so much is stolen uh, begged and borrowed from christianity to the point that even atheists are establishing quote-unquote churches because they recognize the benefits of it uh, community and having people in common and christianity establishing as i said in my opening all kinds of benefits to society uh, whereas unfortunately Randolph was not really able to tell us how atheism would be for the betterment of society because it opens the door for the exact opposite of what he subjectively wants to proclaim about it. And I think I'll leave it at that. You got it. We'll kick it over to Randolph for his two minutes as well. Thank you. Um, thank you, Ken, and thank you, James. Thank you to everybody tuning in. Uh, I'll just say that uh, um, I don't think that uh, it was actually demonstrated that Christianity, which, by the way, has a long and dangerous history for humanity, is somehow better for society. So that, that was a failure. The reasoning that parts of the Holy Bible are no longer applicable when a new covenant doesn't provide clarity for the new rules means that it fails to serve even as an excuse. This brings us back to my original point from the end of my introduction, where religions like Christianity impose a lot of limits on people. Atheism does no such thing, which means that instead of diverting people's impulses of generosity and good intentions, atheism imposes no limits, thus leaving us all with the majestic necessity to cooperate and create our own standards that adhere to the needs of all of humanity. That's the direction we need to go. Thank you very Thank you. much for that closing as well. Just a couple of housekeeping things before we go into the Q&A, folks. My dear friends, as mentioned, this Saturday, DebateCon Part 2. This is Modern Day Debates in-person debate conference, and it's going to be huge at the bottom right of your screen, for example. You could say the biggest debater, both from religion and atheism topics, Matt Dillahunty, and the biggest debater from political topics that we host here at Modern Day Debate, Destiny, will be debating this Saturday, as you can see at the bottom right of your screen. And we, as you can see on the far right of your screen, 
with the gosh i'm pretty sure it's actually going to be recorded like this too or as you can see folks the screen is glitching like crazy i don't know what it is i'm figuring that out but you can still see the fundraiser on the far right side of the screen that helps us cover the cost of the venue in particular the speaking place the indiegogo crowdfund for that is in the description box and these debates are fully free so there's no paywall we're just saying hey we're we're hosting these free to the public live for the public and we're just saying hey would you be up for throwing in a few bucks like three bucks that's the lowest tier to help support this conference so that you can watch those free debates that'll be free to the public and that link is in the description and i'll pin it to the top of the live chat right now with that want to say as well our guests are linked in the description what are you waiting for if you haven't already you can certainly click on those links that includes at the podcast where we put our guest links there as well and folks if you didn't know we do have a podcast and it's growing fast gets thousands of downloads per episode so folks if you're listening there do check out our guests in that description box there as well last but not least before the q a amy newman has an after show which is linked in the description box as well so you can hear people's thoughts on this debate after it and this one coming in from aaron colson thanks so much says randolph has a fortnightly chat between atheists theists and deists check it out also randolph wins because he's so polite you do indeed have that canadian charm randolph well, yeah, he, the fortnightly uh, stream he's talking about, I hosted on my channel. Um, we do it in Discord. It was organized by a fellow named Taco. And Amy Newman, who's hosting the after show today, is also on our panel. There's a panel of us, uh, mostly atheists and one deist, uh, who are uh, inviting people to join us on stage and provide arguments to convince us that uh, a goddess or god exists. And uh, the show has been doing, I think, very well. We get an audience not nearly as large as yours, but uh, it's starting to climb and uh we've seen sometimes more than 100 people tuned into the live show so it's it's great for a start i think so yeah thank you for the mention of that i appreciate that very much yeah absolutely and this one coming in from elijah rivera says since humans want to be individuals it makes sense that christianity is so influential also atheists don't use science to disprove religion um, I think that the reason that atheists usually don't use science to disprove religion is because um, religion isn't presenting scientific uh, evidence or, or scientific claims. It's uh, or anything that's credible that's deserving of it. Because usually, a lot of the claims can be refuted just with logic or you know, philosophical other philosophical. Content. Constructs uh, where religions will make scientific claims, they usually get shot down really fast. Uh, one example would be Islam uh, and its claim that fresh water and salt water don't mix. Um, anybody can do this in their kitchen and take a glass of salt water and fresh water and mix them together in a bowl and see that it mixes. It's uh, it's it's a very easy experiment to do. So you know, typically the the kind of claims that are being made uh, don't require much scientific reputation. You got it. And this one coming in from, do appreciate it, from. Elijah Rivera strikes again, says, read philosophy, uh, philosopher Larry Seidentop's invention of the individual, of how Jesus was the invention of the individual. It's al aligned with human nature. I think and Ken should probably respond to that one. Good. Ken will give you a chance. 
Well, I'm wondering, uh, James, if you're going to have Subway catered debate con. There is indeed Subway that's going to be debate. There is going to be catered at DebateCon this Saturday, and that's for real, folks. That's not a joke. I love how that's Ken it. just addressed that question with a Subway question. <laughs> <laughs> People don't know about the, the before the debate discussion. We talked about Subway for like 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, backstage, it's all friendly. We don't uh, talk about the topic at all. It was, it was quite nice. Yeah, It was juicy. And this one is juicy as well. Big Bad Mama says, modern day debate, Ken, how can you defend a moral stance that accepts that billions will suffer for eternity just for not sharing your religion. Yeah, well, that's not, yeah, that, that's a faulty premise. That's obviously a caricature. And this one uh, coming in from Tropes says, where does Randolph get his standard of what's good or bad for society? What are his foundations for what is morally good or bad? Is it preference? Uh, it's my preference is to do the best I can to understand other people's perspectives and uh, try to so empathy in essence is is a part of it um, and to look at as many factors as possible when making a decision. The uh, one thing I suggest reading is uh, John Rawls R A W L S. Uh, he wrote a book called The Theory of Justice. In there, there's a section uh, about the veil of ignorance. You can even look on YouTube for veil of ignorance. There's lots of eight, nine, ten minute videos explaining what it is. Uh, it's intended for lawmakers who are making laws to consider what it would be like to be thrown into society as a person with some kind of advantage or disadvantage, more importantly, and or a number of disadvantages, and or their particular sex, or they have a sexual orientation, or they are born with a disease, and so on, and then consider how how that law is going to serve them with the intention of making the law in such a way that it will be um, equal benefit to everybody or as many people as possible and as fair as possible. So uh, this I found to be useful in applying it in a somewhat modified way to de make determinations on what is a moral decision as well. So I, I put a lot of thought into it. I don't just make quick decisions because I consider every situation to be unique and needing to be looked at on a case-by-case -case basis. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. Tropes says, well, we got that one. Anton Gomez says, UWU Randolph. Is that a Canadian like jargon? Is that some sort of hip phrase that you guys use? UWU? I've never heard of it. So <laughs> it's a new one to me. Uh, Ken, do you know anything about this phrase? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not up on my common hip parlance. <laughs> yeah, you're in the same boat I am here. This <laughs> one I call it an arc. <laughs> Elijah Rivera strikes again, says Milgram experiment shows humans will blindly obey authority. That's part of human nature as well. So if that's true and atheism is the argument against this authority, atheism is proving a negative. Hmm. Well, I, I think it's important for people in society to be able to um, redress their, uh, the people who are in charge and hold them to account and, um, uh, and have the ability to complain freely about them. And I think that when you look at societies where the leadership is okay with this and supports it, you're looking at leadership that has a lot less insecurity, hopefully none. 
um, the ones who use authoritarianism and forbid people and prohibit people from critiquing their leadership are the ones that are usually working from an angle of insecurity. That's what I see from an all-powerful, all-knowing God who uh, imposes rules on people. I'm, I'm sure Ken might have some things to say on, on this. Ken, any thoughts? Well, I think that what the questioner was pointing out is that um, Christianity is providing us what is human nature. And so, for example, if um, religion is another word I don't like, much like morality, but that's another debate uh, or issue. Um, if religion is uh, like a Darwinian survival mechanism, why would atheists be interested in damaging people's abilities to survive? This one coming in from appreciate it. Samir Farsane says religion bans relations outside of marriage to avoid misery for children in society. What does atheists subjective morality do to combat such issues? So Uh, I think that maybe they mean like in terms of relations outside of marriage and misery for children in society. I'm only guessing here that they mean maybe like if, Common law spouses. Let's say a guy has intercourse with a woman. Uh, it's this type of non-committal thing where he bails the next day, and then the children don't have a father. I'm guessing that's what they mean. I don't know. Yeah, that's a terrible situation that happens with both married and unmarried couples, unfortunately. And there are um, people who are religious who abandon their families, as well as non-religious people. Uh, this kind of thing says more about the uh, the problematic character of the individual who is uh, abandoning their families uh, than it does about uh, whether or not they follow a religion, in my opinion. You got it. I'm like... I'm laughing because, like, folks, let me know in the live chat. Is it just me or is the screen turning blue? I don't know what's <laughs> going on. I gotta. I think I gotta update OBS. I don't know. Your screen looks like... fine on your screen looks fine on YouTube on my on my end. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it's me. Okay, good. Let me double check. Yeah. This one from hates stairs says, Ken, why are there creation fables predating the Bible by hundreds of years, like the Bhagavad Gita, and these same stories appear in the Bible? That is whack. Oh, your lighting, your lighting is coming in a little bit blue sometimes. It flickers in and out. So uh, tremendously blue. Yeah, yeah. But we'll give you a chance, Ken. Oh yes, it's not just that you're turning into a Smurf. We'll get, oh, Ken, they're coming at, they're saying that the Bible copied these earlier writings like the Gita. What what are your thoughts, Ken? Yeah, I don't know if they're necessarily saying that they're copying, but that, that there are cosmogenic uh, myths and legends and stories and records. And, uh, well, obviously, when something is known to have happened, people are going to comment on it. So that... Uh, what we would see is um, I'm going to place it to the time of the Tower of Babel. When we see humanity lived in relative proximity, right? And they had commonly shared and known history. And then when they, they, they were dispersed throughout the earth, they took that commonly known and shared history 
and with time and telling and isolation changed it in this or that point and then it becomes called myth or legend so that's part of why the most ancient cultures that had seemingly no interaction with each other do tell many of the same uh, basic level tales because they come from uh, actual historical events that were just from long ago and then they kind of specialized or rather um, augmented them to their to their particular regions and needs ways of telling stories you got it coffee mom says ken how or why christianity is objective morality well because okay morality here we go with that term again it's morality is absolute it's not tentative it's objective not subjective it's extrinsic not intrinsic it's from without not from within right so it's a reflection of god's very nature and essence as i opened in as i noted in my opening statement and that we're created in god's image means that god has placed this law within our hearts which is why um one thing i kind of we never got back to is the question about what is exclusive to Christianity, you know what I'm saying? And I was saying it doesn't really have to be because since we're created in God's image, this is why every culture that's ever existed has condemned murder, right? Because murder is absolutely wrong as a universal imperative. It's not like uh, Christianity has to come along and say, oh, by the way, murder is wrong. Everybody knows that because it's a reflection of God's nature. I just want to point out that there are uh, many societies throughout history that did not condemn murder. And uh, we can even see it still practiced today in some tribes in rainforests and whatnot, where they will uh, go to a competing tribe and, and kill them. And we've seen this history in other continents as well. But, but, but what they do is they justify it so that they don't consider yep. it murder. That's, that's the, the point, is they, they recategorize it as something different. Oh, back to linguistics and word games. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, well, hold on. Linguistics, yes. The word games, eh, that's a bit too emotive. But it is an, interesting, an important distinction that if, if I had to guess, one of the things that separates from the animals, and I have to guess, is that we justify our actions. So if I want to commit murder, but I know it's wrong, then I'm going to justify my actions so that I end up saying, yeah, that was an actual murder. It was a ritual killing. It was uh, justice. It was, and then I can throw any term out there to kind of mask the fact that I know what I'm doing is wrong. And I think another thing that definitely separates us from the animals is fashion faux pas. That's another issue. The non-human animals. Okay. You got it. This one coming in from. Do appreciate your question, Clarence Tompkins. Thanks so much. Says Ken. So why did God command Israelites to kill? and take land around them, and to take the women and the children as plunder, it's not sacrifice, but it's still wrong. I would have to know wrong as per what? Uh, wrong as per your emotive, subjective, subjective personal preferences de jour that you probably begged, borrowed, and stole from Christianity in the first place? I mean, so that's one issue. But... Um, what we see is that often uh, these cultures were given centuries to repent, centuries. And if you were to read up on what these cultures were all about, you would actually wonder why God took so long. Uh, basically, everything that Randolph despises in culture, these guys were doing it and worse. 
And so there came a point where the cultures became so dysfunctional that they couldn't be allowed to sort of spread their bad influence anymore. At the gym. You got it. This one coming in from Jupiter Darman says, does morality need to be objective? Do you need an objective reason, quote unquote, to not murder? If not, what's the difference from reaching the same conclusion subjectively? I don't need an objective reason to not murder people. I just prefer not to do it. It's a personal, it's, it's a personal choice. Exactly. Um, so that if another atheist stands right next to you and says, well, I have the opposite personal preference, you're just going to have to go, well, it's an inherent freedom to independently determine what's moral or isn't. So you're an atheist just as well as I am, even though our views are 100% opposite. And so regardless, if a person doesn't approve of murder and doesn't commit it because they believe it's wrong, there's going to be something that told them that, even if they think that they're just telling it to themselves, like Randolph just did. There's got to be something, and if it's not absolute, then it's just uh, what Randolph presented to us just now, which is on the level of what ice cream flavor he prefers. And somebody might say, well, I like a different one. I'll so take that's the problem with it, leaving it all purely subjective. It's up for grabs. You can accept it or deny it, and there's nothing wrong with it either way. Um, so the thing that is kind of scary is that there are Christians that uh, I've heard speak about this over the years many times who have said that if it wasn't for, like, if they stopped believing in God, they stopped being a Christian, um, then they would probably become murderers. So there are some who've said this, quite a few. Then you should thank God that they're Christians. Because if if they're so maniacal that that's the only thing preventing them. Thank God that they're Christians. You can look at it that way. I think that uh, highlights a, a more serious problem and that they need well, some course. psychotherapy. Yeah, they need some psychotherapy. No. Again, that's not a false dichotomy. Yeah. But I'm saying that I agree. that is, is a proof that Christianity is better for society when you can point to people who admit that they would be out there doing horrible things if it wasn't for Christianity. So appreciate you putting a point in for my view. The problem there is they have resigned themselves to the authority, the authoritarian deity, and are not seeking help to make themselves better members of society. That's the problem with that. It's it's a huge underlying problem that's being ignored here. Because it's just a it's just a placeholder. Religion becomes a placeholder then. And the problem is if they become unhappy with it and they've not had therapy for it all these time or over these years, then that's a danger to society. It's a time bomb waiting to to explode. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know if we could get very specific about anonymous people. I don't know the circumstances of these people's yeah. lives. But again, if they're doing it because they're resigning themselves, and thank God they're resigning themselves. And if they're not getting help and they're able to live a life that's beneficial for society, then thank God for that as well. I mean, how are you turning this into a negative when it's a when it's a demonstrable positive? I'm a I'm a free thinker. I don't want to resign to myself to things. I'll, I'll make the more difficult choices in life and try to be a better person. Thank you very much. This yes, one like, uh, like feeling a sense of being murderous, but preventing yourself from doing so. I mean, that is... A, it's, 
that is a struggle on the level I'm not sure I can comprehend, but thank God. Thank God. This one coming in. Anyway. <laughs> Clarence Tompkins strikes again, says atheism made way for humanism and other non-religious worldviews, put, putting care for all people regardless of sex, race, or orientation better than Christianity. I agree with that. It's, this is because people are not limited by a, uh, an authoritarian set of commands uh, that can't be questioned, uh, that is inflexible. They are uh, free to think about these things and, uh, and practice uh, and, and utilize empathy and uh, hopefully John Rawls' veil of, just, uh, veil of ignorance in the future and, and other, other things to try to come up with these kinds of systems. So uh, it would be my understanding, though, is that uh, some Christians were involved in the early creation of humanism first, and then it's uh, um, lost interest amongst Christians because it was uh, not conforming with the Christian doctrine and um, other people who weren't um, uh, following those so strictly ended up uh, it ended up evolving into more of an atheistic thing over time. I have to admit that because it's the way it is. <laughs> Any thoughts, Ken? So I could I could take 99% of what Randolph just said, but at the end, just append that it's like, well, this is precisely why in mere decades, atheists set the world's mass and serial murder, murdery records, even when competing against religions that have been around for millennia. This is why, because uh, they don't have anything to which to adhere because there are no universal imperatives. So if but is atheist society wants to just wipe out millions upon millions of people, then that's perfectly acceptable too, because remember, it's an inherent freedom to independently determine what is and isn't moral. So you're probably referring, hinting at people like Adolf Hitler in history, who were most definitely Christians. And there's other people who, um, like okay, Stalin, well, did stuff, used religion and promoted religion and made people go into it. So there's so, religion. Well, well, no, no, uh, no, no. Uh, I'm not going to allow you to give Hitler the power to change theology. There's no way... Oh. I'm not, form. I'm not That's asking what, for that power. I'm not asking well, for that. The are. Catholic Church did that. Let me back up a step and say I don't necessarily think Hitler was an atheist, but that he was a Christian was absolutely inaccurate. I defined what Christianity is. It is being Christ-like. It is producing fruits that are demonstrably uh, linked to what Jesus taught. Uh, and, 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 and you are, I mean, it's basically, I think that what you're saying is the Catholic Church, uh, and it, uh, one particular form of hierarchical government can determine that somebody fits that role. It's it's absolutely coherent. You can't appeal to somebody who violated every possible Christian principle and then call them a Christian. It's fundamentally incoherent. This <sighs> one. Coming in from Samir Farsane says, you just proved that subjective morality is dangerous. It's even allowed to contradict itself. You condemn yep. Abraham, yet you defend killing unborn babies. Say that again? Sure. This is from Samir Farsain. Thanks very much for your question. Samir says, you just proved that subjective morality is dangerous. It's even allowed to contradict itself, according to you. You condemn Abraham, yet you defend killing unborn babies. 
Uh, I think they're talking about abortion, which has nothing to do with babies. It's about fetuses, zygotes, and embryos, which are part of the pregnant wow. person's body. And wow. uh, so uh, bodily autonomy is a human right. And <clears throat> so this is a big topic, but uh, I support the freedom of the pregnant person to um, have control of their own medical decisions about their pregnancy, uh, which includes uh, getting an abortion at any stage during the pregnancy, the entire pregnancy, without having to justify it to anybody. So wow. uh, that is uh, an essential thing. Um, for If we take human rights and freedoms seriously, then this has to be supported. It is not killing another person. It is one person. It is the pregnant person who that happens to be a part of. And if you hadn't done so yet, you just absolutely discredited yourself beyond my ability to argue against you. I, I don't even have to touch you. I mean, that is that is inhumane, subhuman. And just because you can categorize a beautiful, healthy, innocent, and defenseless human baby by Latinized uh, in medical terms, that, that you think that allows you to mass murder millions of them for money. That is, that's it, you're, you're I done. I don't know anything about money, uh, but apparently you've not read the Conservapedia article about me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, and I'm shocked that you support uh, mass murder on that scale. It's shocking. I, I mean, it's don't, truly shocking I don't, that you I, I don't support a beautiful, mass murder. healthy, I, innocent, defenseless human baby, I, and you think that's the time to strike the death blow because an accidentally existing ape decides that they want to get rid of a smaller accident existing no, I, that is I, I do not support mass murder and uh, I uh, clarified that I'm not talking about babies I, I was very say, clear oh, oh, was talking oh, oh, about hold on I want so to give Randolph think, a chance just to be sure is so, it, I'm so you, you that's fine I, I, so I you, said what I needed to say you think that a human baby is not a human baby one minute before it comes out of the birth canal, the magical birth canal? You really think that? There's, there's some confusion here. I was clear, clear on the terminology at the beginning. I was not talking about babies. Now, I am opposed to infanticide. But I, I'm and pretty sure that the person... The I want to give I'm Randolph sure a chance to actually respond. I'm pretty sure that the question was about abortion by the way it was phrased. Well, of course. That's what I responded to. Yes, and you said at any stage of the pregnancy. Yep. So that's it. You're disqualified from being considered anything anywhere near so, uh, moral uh, or ethical or, or, or rational have, or is anything. There a point, is there a point in which you think uh, abortion is okay, or are you against it right from conception? I oppose any and all selective abortions. Selective abortions. That's not quite answering my question, but okay. Of with that, we are going to wrap up. I've got to let these guys out of here. It's already been longer than what we promised. Wait, one, one more question, James. Come on. That's right. Clarence Tompkins with a last minute one says, Ken, before you say, oh, wow, that is inhuman. Let's not forget that in the Bible, if a man suspecting the wife of cheating, he can give her potion that would kill the unborn if she had cheated. Right. That's uh, made up. That's a, a fantasy. That's a myth. That That's nowhere in the whole entire Bible. You're literally reading a preconceived notion into a text that says absolutely nothing about that. It doesn't say anything about pregnancy. It doesn't say anything about uh, the, the person within the world. There's nothing like that in the text. It doesn't exist. It's just an atheist myth talking point. That... Actually, it's in the book of Numbers. No, it's not. 
I know what they're referring to. I'm just pointing out it doesn't say what is being asserted in any language or any metric. It does not say anything about a pregnancy, period, full stop. It doesn't exist. It's not there. This one, let me just double check in case there are any others. And then, I've got to say though, folks, our guests are linked in the description. We highly encourage you, if you have not yet checked out their links, you certainly can. And as mentioned, folks, it's going to be huge this Saturday, Debate Con Part 2, as you can see at the bottom right of your screen. That Indiegogo link for that crowdfund, I actually forgot to put that in the chat, so I'll put that in the chat right now. And... It is going to be huge. You don't have to put it in the crowdfund to watch it. It's going to be free to the public. But we ask, hey, if you'd like, throw in a few bucks, $3 less than the price of a cup of coffee helps us cover the venue costs, as the venue by itself is about 2300 bucks. So it's a pretty big kind of deal, pretty big project. So with that, I'm going to be back in just a moment letting you know about huge debates for that conference. But in the meantime, I want to say one last thank you to our guests, Ken and Randolph. It's been a true pleasure to have you guys. Thank you, both James of you. Thank you, Ken. It was a pleasure, even though it Likewise. was it was enjoyable. Um, I wonder, James, if you would mind uh, putting up a poll in the YouTube uh, chat, uh, just asking which one's better for societies, uh, atheism, Christianity, and a third option for other. I'm happy to do that. Uh, people have requested it before. I've got to say, I don't know if they're always... Oh, my gosh, the screen is so discombobulated. It uh -oh. is... I look like a ghost. Uh, but basically, uh, I, I'm willing to do it. I just, I don't know if it's always as uh, helpful as people anticipate just because it's generally more indicative of like what percent of viewers are atheist or Christian compared to, but you know, we could put that. Oh, yeah. But with that, I'm going to put that in the in the old chat right now. Um, Dude, James, you're the host that can boast the most roast. You can put Christianity as the first option, so that way I can't be accused of uh, promoting bias. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Let's see. But I want to say, folks, we do appreciate you no matter what walk of life you're from. Modern Day Debate is a neutral platform striving to host debates on science, religion, and politics. And we welcome people, no matter how far politically left or right you are, whether you be Christian, atheist, Muslim, or one of the many strange creatures uh, in addition to those or between those. We hope you're doing well and want to say we've got that poll going up right So, now. James, I want to say again, I really appreciate uh, that you run these debates and that you are, because I see that as a contribution to um, the free exchange of ideas. To me, this is very important, and you're providing a wonderful platform here with a large audience, and I want to see you continue to be more and more successful as time goes on. So thank you so much for running this and bringing me into all these fascinating people to debate with. I enjoyed the debate tonight with Ken and uh, with others in the past as well. Thanks. Well, on that, we can agree. I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. That means a lot. And we're thrilled to have you as guests. Thanks for being a part of the project, a part of the movement where we try to provide a neutral platform so that everybody can make their case on a level playing field. So thank you, guys. And I'll be back, folks. Thanks for watching. I'll be back in just a moment. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen. On sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save 